Beast Watch News, watching the rising beast of Revelation. In this week's news, I will ask and answer, what does the order of Melchizedek have to do with Mystery Babylon? Before I answer the title question, let me summarize this week's news, because this week's events and the articles written about it by Breaking Israel News is what provoked the question. Israel was not only bombarded in retaliation from Gaza this week, but also lost their island of peace, because Jordan took those land parcels back. Now, the king of Jordan had given Israel a year's notice of his intentions, but this is likely to spark greater interest by Israeli politicians in announcing plans to annex all of the Jordan Valley. In fact, Benny Gantz's party says it agrees with Likud about the need to annex the Jordan Valley. Blue and White said it is prepared to begin a process of imposing Israeli sovereignty, not annexation yet, however, over the Jordan Valley and the northern Dead Sea area. So let me tell you what the difference is between imposing Israeli sovereignty and not annexing. Annexation will involve a war to conquer the area. Sovereignty will involve the placement of IDF troops in the area along with the hopeful ouster of Jordanian troops. Now attempting to impose Israeli sovereignty in this way will likely result in the deterioration of peaceful relations with Jordan ending in an armed conflict with Jordan. So really annexation or sovereignty likely equal the same things, the same outcome. Netanyahu reminded King Abdullah that Israel helps Jordan in many ways. This is a veiled threat, including with Jordan's own security against mutual enemies. He said, on top of that deterrence, we built cooperation in security aspects as well as trade, intelligence, and water. We help the king in many covert ways that I don't think I should expand on. Also, Students for the Mount sent a letter this week to King Abdullah of Jordan making demands regarding Temple Mount. Be sure you go and read that article. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu may have manipulated the Gaza barrage by killing the Islamic terrorist Baha Abu Alata, the Islamic Jihad leader. Certainly the destruction that Netanyahu prophesied in the last few weeks is coming true. The destruction seems to validate that Israel needs him in office for his war experience but also it validates the need to funnel funds for citizens in the Knesset's budget to funds for the military which I believe will also find some of that money going to diaspora affairs and the building of the temple all three of these pieces must be in place for the rise of mystery Babylon she must have a strong military a greater influx of orthodox Jews and money to build the temple 
Breaking Israel News published articles about the various conflicts claiming the latest Gaza outbreak fulfills a particular prophecy. I will put that notion to rest. And that's part of the reason for the understanding of what Melchizedek has to do with Mystery Babylon. And it appears that Netanyahu performed another manipulation in the giving of the defense ministry to member of Knesset Naftali Bennett. Bennett had demanded he be given the defense ministry last year, but Netanyahu refused and made this major reversal this week. The move appears aimed at shoring up opposition to attempts by Netanyahu's chief rival, Blue and White Party leader Benny Gantz, to form Israel's next government. Giving the defense ministry to Naftali Bennett puts his new right party firmly in Netanyahu's pocket, ahead of a possible third round of elections. So this summarizes the news. Now let me share what happened when I prayed about the Gaza assault this week. It plays into what Yahweh has planned for Mystery Babylon. While praying for Israel during the missile barrage from Gaza and asking the Father to show me why it was happening, the Father directed my attention to Isaiah 3. I mean, he simply whispered in my ear and said, you know, go read Isaiah 3. Here is Isaiah chapter 3. Starting at verse 1. For behold, the Lord God of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem and from Judah support and supply. All support of bread and all support of water. The mighty man and the soldier, the judge, the prophet, the diviner, the elder, the captain of fifty, and the man of rank, the counselor, and the skillful magician, and the expert in charms. So, even as mystery Babylon rises, Yahweh is arranging the downfall of mystery Babylon. Now, I don't know how much time it will take. But given the words of Isaiah, that is what is happening now. Let me continue. So let's skip down to Isaiah 3.8. For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their deeds are against Yahweh, defying his glorious presence. For the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. The Jews are blatantly making their global hegemonic intentions known now and are flaunting Judaism's evil religious doctrines. Remember, Mystery Babylon is described by John as Sodom. In Revelation uh, 11.8, Isaiah in Isaiah 3.9 calls Jerusalem Sodom. Here is a reference that Jerusalem is Mystery Babylon, simply because both prophets refer to them both as Sodom. 
Isaiah 3.13 The Lord has taken his place to contend. He stands to judge peoples. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders and princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people, by grinding the face of the poor, declares the Lord God of hosts? You know, Benjamin Netanyahu wants to reroute funds from the civil budget areas to the military. This is one way the people will be crushed. Isaiah 3.16 The Lord said, Because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks, glancing wantonly with their eyes, mincing along as they go, tinkling with their feet. Well, the daughters of Zion is a metaphor for the people. In Zechariah 9.9 it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! In Zechariah's time, there was no house of Israel. So this daughter of Jerusalem, in this case, is the house of Judah, to whom Zechariah was prophesying. So daughter of Zion, singular, is specific to the house of Judah. But when you read daughters of Zion, as in um, Isaiah 3.16... You are reading also about both houses. Aren't Israel and America walking hand in hand now, trying to make Israel the dominant power of the Middle East? Aren't they both suffering under the weight of election and corruption scandals? Don't they both grapple with the religion versus state Issue. I mean, there are many more parables that could be made between these two sister nations, or should I say mother-daughter nations. Since John refers to a mother and Jeremiah refers to the mother's daughter... Isaiah 3.17 Therefore the Lord will strike with a scab the heads of the daughter's of Zion and the Lord will lay bare their secret parts in that day the Lord will take away the finery of the anklets the headbands and the crescents the pendants the bracelets and the scarves the headdresses the armlets the sashes the perfume boxes and amulets the signet rings and nose rings and the festival robes the mantles the cloaks and the handbags Isaiah 23 continues the mirrors the linen garments the turbans and the veils everything that makes people proud and arrogant Yahweh will take away the wealth and the reason for the arrogance of both Israel and America Isaiah 3.24 instead of perfume there will be rottenness and instead of a belt a rope instead of well set hair baldness and instead of a rich robe a skirt of sackcloth and branding instead of beauty your men shall fall by the sword and your mighty men in battle and her gates shall lament and mourn empty she shall sit on the ground and then both houses will have their come to Yeshua meeting hallelujah 
I felt impressed also to read chapter 4. And seven women shall take hold of one man in that day, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. In other words, they will be so desperate for a man, because there are so few, that they will not expect from him the right to be fed, housed and clothed. They'll take care of that themselves. They only want his name, so they won't be considered an old maid and barren. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. Now, we all know who the branch of the Lord is. That is Yeshua. And the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem shall be called holy, everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters, plural, of Zion, and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning, this spirit of burning is going to show up later on when we talk about Melchizedek but Yahweh will clean up the filth of the house of Judah and the house of Israel the daughters verse 5 then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night for over all the glory there will be a canopy so remember that it's the smoke and the flaming fire that's going to come up again and we're going to see that in just a minute and there will be a booth for shade by day from the heat and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain there will be a booth this is at tabernacles when they're having their assemblies their mikra as it says there in keeping with their mystery Babylon and Noahide agenda the powerless Sanhedrin this week got bellicose with Iran in this article titled Sanhedrin in final warning to Iran chose choose path of King Cyrus or die like Haman says after much deliberation the Sanhedrin has issued a declaration calling on Iran to cast off the false mantle of Iran and return to their biblically correct identity as the Persian Empire. If they do not, another, possibly President Trump, will take the role of the quote-unquote anointed king designated to lead the effort to build the temple and unite the nations hubris they are usurping the mantle of authority Yahweh isn't going to choose someone other than the one he has anointed for the upcoming tasks against Jerusalem just because the Jewish leaders say he will now back to the article Iran's hostility towards Israel is similar to the hatred of the evil Haman. 
Iran's actions are in stark contrast to the great king Cyrus of Persia who ended 70 years of exile that began with the destruction of the first temple. King Cyrus commanded the Jews exiled in Babylon to return to Eretz Israel and rebuild the temple. King Cyrus aided in the restoration of the temple by providing the tools to restore the temple and begin the temple service. Cyrus is the anointed king that is mentioned in the prophecies of Isaiah 150 years before his reign. Well, what the Jews, the Sanhedrin, don't know because they will not submit to Yeshua is that Iran will conquer mystery Babylon the way the Persians conquered Babylon. Cyrus was given the task by Yahweh to rebuild his temple in Jerusalem. But first, he had to conquer Babylon. As in the beginning, so in the end. Before Yahweh's real and true temple can be rebuilt, there is an end times Babylon called Mystery Babylon that must first be destroyed. The Jews want to build a Jewish temple and they are tasking Trump with that job. The reason Jerusalem will become Mystery Babylon is because the building of their temple comes from Judaism and the Jews, not from Yahweh. That temple will be for Jews only. You know, they talk about Gentiles coming to the temple in some articles that you read. But in other articles, they talk about keeping the Gentiles out. Keeping the Gentiles out is the reason for the Noahide sacrifice on Mount of Olives last September. It's to give Gentiles a an alternate place to go to do their sacrifices. Back to the article. Iran is acting in direct opposition to how a king of Persia should act, as was exemplified by Cyrus, who acted to return the Jews to Israel and return the service to the temple in Jerusalem. It is for this reason that Cyrus, a Persian king, was honored in the Bible as the anointed king, anointed to perform this function, serving as an example for the entire world and all the nations, as one who honors all faiths, that act as pathways to God and every nation as a manifestation of the nations that came from Noah that's a mouthful I'm going to address this thing about all faiths and that there are pathways plural that lead to God Cyrus was a warmongering king who cared little for faiths and religion the Jerusalem temple was not rebuilt by him for all faiths. It was built for the Jewish faith, Judaism alone, which is why the Jews rejected their Israelite brothers living in Samaria who wanted to help rebuild it. The Persians and Medes and all who make up the people of Iran will do well to return and choose their path to the God of Israel. Stop right there. There is only one path to Yahweh. You don't get to choose your path to Yahweh. And that path is through Yeshua. 
to retain their historical role as was done by the first kings of Persia and to promote the establishment of the temple of Israel on Mount Moriah for the peace of the entire whole world. The Jewish temple will not bring peace but great tribulation and the whole world will not get to participate in the temple. The modern Persians role will be exactly as was done before. They will destroy Babylon so Yahweh's true temple can be built this time. Rabbi Weiss explained that part of the blame lies with the United Nations which as its name implies was intended to create a single world order that erased the biblical concept of nations a concept that was initiated by Noah and reinforced when the nations came to the temple in Jerusalem every Sukkot. I'm going to address two things right there so wait a minute when Noah was doing Sukkot in the area that would later be named Jerusalem the nations did not yet exist when his grandsons came of age they left the Jerusalem area to follow Nimrod to the land of Shinar where he constructed his own religion much like the Jews have done while they were in Babylon and there is no record that any of the nations came to the area of Jerusalem for Sukkot they will be required to come for Sukkot during the millennium thus if the pattern began in Noah's day it will once again be a pattern but in the future it won't be a request it will be a requirement now without going into great detail the reason I say Noah was in the area of Jerusalem is because Yahweh set a pattern of where his temple and his sacrifices should be done at the time of Adam the Garden of Eden was eastward from, Noah, from Yahweh's temple the scripture said it was built eastward but eastward from what? gardens are built to serve a house are they not the people in Moses time would have understood that this was Mount Moriah Temple Mount today I believe Noah migrated back to the area of Jerusalem and I also believe he was in the line of Melchizedek's just as Adam was Melchizedek's always rule from Jerusalem his drunkenness likely came in the fall at the time when Yahweh would later formalize a feast something the Hebrew people were already doing from the time of Noah because Noah kept the law even though he didn't know about Sukkot yet nor did he have the precise timing of the feasts the fall is associated with Sukkot in scripture and I'll stop there let's go back to the article the role of Cyrus as the anointed king was for a specific role and not as a personal designation there needs to be a central figure that unites the 70 nations in his time it was Cyrus Rabbi Weiss said noting that the Sanhedrin had compared President Trump to the Persian king let me tell you something Cyrus did not unite 70 nations his job was to free the Jews from the Babylonian captivity so they could progress for another 2500 years toward making Jerusalem into an end times mystery religious Babylon 
So Yahweh could fulfill his promise to Noah that he would give man 6,000 years to mess things up before he comes to rule and reign. The Sanhedrin also announced the possibility of another Noahide sacrifice in honor of the 27th of Keshvan when Noah is supposed to have exited the ark. Well, they're just determined to violate the Torah, aren't they? Scripture is explicit about where his people must sacrifice. It is on his dedicated altar on Temple Mount. But they will, if they do it again, do it on the Mount of Olives. Also, the Sanhedrin is planning to mint a coin as part of the effort to establish 70 nations in opposition to one world order. Though this may seem like a symbolic act, the Sanhedrin believes it will have a great impact on the situation. The meaning of minting coins is to help the people recognize who has the authority in the realm. Kings and presidents mint coins that speak to their authority. The Sanhedrin is counting on the world, not understanding the significance of their minted coins, telling the world who is and who is not in authority over the earth, so that the world can't rise up against it before it actually comes to fruition. This breaking Israel News article titled Assassination of Terrorist Mastermind Foretold in Torah reveals even more of the Leviathan twisting spirit of the rabbis and a total lack of understanding of the covenant of Abraham. It also highlights the reason you need to understand this covenant and the order of Melchizedek. Regarding the missile attack from Gaza, Rabbi Yakutiel Fish, an expert in Jewish mysticism who blogs in Hebrew under the title So de Kashmai, emphasized that the incident was clearly connected to Israel's covenant with God, says this article. Well, Rabbi Fish is not just an expert in Jewish mysticism. Kabbalah. He is a practitioner of it and one who wants to foist it on Gentiles now. Everything that comes out of the mouths of Kabbalists must be ignored. The pull to practice Kabbalah is rising among Christians and Hebrew roots believers. It is dangerous because Kabbalah uses the same words and has similar doctrines found in the New Testament. Kabbalah appears to agree with Yeshua at times, but don't be fooled. Kabbalah defines words very differently than Yahweh, which is why we must get back to what Yahweh said, not man or religion. And its doctrines only apply to Jews, never to those who are not Jews, and even those who convert to Judaism, albeit Kabbalists say righteous Gentiles can learn from the Kabbalah but in the final analysis what they mean is that the Kabbalah learned by a righteous Gentile will help 
explain and reinforce to the righteous Gentile why Jews are superior to all Gentiles. Then that righteous Gentile will understand and agree with the doctrine of Jewish supremacy and advocate the subordination of all Gentiles in the world as defined by Judaism. In effect, the righteous Gentile becomes a traitor to other Gentiles in enforcing Judaism on all non-Jews. It is clear, he says, we are in the days before the final redemption and everything should be understood in that context. Well, the redemption context is totally misunderstood in Judaism. Their context includes only Jews, the house of Judah. It is this context that the redemption is only for them that supplies the way they twist every scripture out of its biblical context taking a verse here and a verse there a word here and a word there that justifies in their minds the way they use scripture to defend Judaism he that's Rabbi Fish noted the biblical source for the terrorist name that appeared in Abraham's covenant of the parts from the Torah portion that was read just three days ago when the sun set and it was very dark there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between those pieces that's in Genesis 15:17. now remember Isaiah 4 5 which says that the, the Lord will create over the whole side of Mount Zion and her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of a flaming fire the cloud by day and the smoke and the flaming fire protected the people in coming out of Egypt remember but here we have exactly the same thing being spoken in Isaiah 4-5 that was spoken in Genesis 15-17 smoke a smoking oven and the shining of a flaming fire a flaming torch who is this at the end of days as described by Isaiah well it is the two the father and the son who walked through the pieces of those animals in Genesis 15:17 now rabbi fish further says the word for darkness is alata there is a clear reference to the terrorist he says who personified darkness the flaming torch is a reference to the rockets the terrorist was so fond of shooting at Israel but even his own darkness and the evil rockets cannot stop the final redemption closer that is God's message in the covenant that inside the darkness there is great light well let's talk about that terrorist name who personified darkness was this man the only man to ever be named Alata in all the world's history no I know this by just looking up the name Alata on the internet guess what Alata is not an unknown name there are even historical references on names.org for notable people with the same name going back in history so why Rabbi Fish does this particular man fit this scripture where no other man does the word alata as a verb means dark 
It is used to indicate a darker hue of colors, for instance. In the case of Abraham, it indicates a particular kind of darkness in which Abraham was in a trance watching Yahweh and Yeshua walk through the pieces of those bloody sacrificed animals. No adequate explanation was given by Rabbi Fish for why this particular Islamic male is who Yahweh was talking about in Genesis 15:17, And no adequate explanation can be made because the use of the word in that verse is a verb, not a noun. Rabbi Fish is a liar. But guess what? People who do not study their Bibles and who do not get Yahweh's definitions of words and who also are goo-goo-eyed about Jews and Judaism will be taken in by this. They will say, let's deny Jesus and take up Judaism. Now, let's talk about the flaming torch representing rockets being shot at Israel. That flaming torch walked through the pieces after the smoking furnace. That's the chronological order in the verse. Abraham saw the father and the son in the way that they wanted him to see them. When Yahweh showed himself to Moses, it was in the way he wanted Moses to see him, right? These have nothing to do with rockets. If they have something to do with rockets, then why these particular rockets and not all the rockets fired at Israel by all the nations surrounding them and within them? No, the liar Rabbi Fish is twisting and contorting a meaning from this scripture that Yahweh never intended. And what is the meaning of Genesis 15:17? that the father and the son are making a covenant with each other on behalf of the descendants of Abraham they did not allow Abraham to make this covenant only the father and the son made it and they did so because Abraham needed to know Yahweh's promises to him were certain set in concrete Back then and even today in some parts of the world where this kind of covenant is made, no firmer covenant could be made. Its meaning is that the two who walk through the pieces are inextricably bound together and that the one who breaks the covenant must die bloody and painfully like those animals. God walked through the pieces as the smoking furnace, the Father, whose face no man can see and live. Then the flaming torch, Yeshua, who will come to judge with fire in the end of days. You know that flaming torch, fire in the end of days. Yeshua walked through the pieces on behalf of Abraham's descendants, who did what? Oh, they broke the covenant. Who has to die then? Can the father now accept just any man to die for the sins of Israel? Or does Yeshua, the flaming torch, have to die? Yeshua has to die. 
That is why he took a human body to become God in the flesh that was capable of dying. It is why we have to know that he is God in human flesh. Not just Messiah, as some say. Not a man who became God at his resurrection, as some say. Not even just the Son of God, as if that means he isn't God, as some say. No, it was only God who walked through the pieces, who can die for the sins of Abraham's descendants, who broke the covenant. No one else will satisfy the death that is required according to this covenant. And there is another reason Yeshua needed to have a human body that has to do with Melchizedek. Folks, Genesis 15 is the gospel message. When you ask people, where is the gospel message in the Old Testament and they don't know, take them to Genesis 15. It explains why he had to come and die. It explains, Genesis 15 explains what the book of Hebrews author was trying to explain. That the blood of bulls does not take away the sins that were committed by the Israelites because they committed treason. And there is not a bull, a goat, or ram, or bird sacrifice for that. The father and the son knew Abraham's descendants would betray them. How did they know? Adam, the special man created to be the first human high priest of the order of Melchizedek, sinned. We are all subject to Adam's sin. But Yahweh can see the span of earthly time because he is outside of time. So he knew his selected people would betray him and that he would have to die. Yeshua now provides us with righteousness. Just as Adam provided humanity with sin, Yeshua provides those who choose him with righteousness. Furthermore, his death qualified him to continue reigning as the heavenly high priest of the order of Melchizedek and to have the right to be the human high priest of the order of Melchizedek. There is a fundamental problem with the way Christian doctrine looks at the book of Hebrews. Most people don't understand the book of Hebrews because they use it to say that this book justifies that the Lord did away with his own law. Also, they spout this hateful, evil Christian lie because no one has taught them that the book of Hebrews is talking about two priesthoods, not one. The two priesthoods in question are the Melchizedek and Levite priesthood. One came before the other, but one had to be substituted for the other. Which priesthood was substituted for which?
The Levite priesthood is the substitute who supervised the substitute sacrifices. The Melchizedek priesthood is Yahweh's order of priesthood from before the earth was made. It was the one in which Adam served. It was the one he was created for to serve in. It was the one in which the Israelite nation was to serve as well. The change in the law was the temporary foregoing of the Melchizedek priesthood, a priesthood of firstborns and the creation of the Levitical priesthood, not the other way around. I'm going to show you this. Hang in here with me. Exodus 19.6 says, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Yahweh spoke this to Moses. Yahweh was going to make the entire nation a nation of priests. And this would have been based on the selected firstborns taking their places as priests. The Melchizedek order is an order of firstborns. These would not necessarily have been the physical firstborns, but the qualified firstborns. That's important to understand. The patriarchs selected the spiritually mature and righteous son from among all his sons to be the firstborn of the family to succeed him. The way the world looks at firstborn is that it is always the physical firstborn but that is not Yahweh's way to be a Melchizedek firstborn requires one to qualify for the position by being righteous and that includes knowing Yeshua and keeping his commandments why do we have to redeem the firstborns because there was a golden calf incident at which the firstborns disqualified themselves to serve in the office of priests. Therefore, Yahweh gave the Levites in the place of all the firstborns and made the people redeem every firstborn from then on because an unredeemed firstborn is still automatically in the role of firstborn. This means he must live up to the higher standards of a firstborn. You know, the Levites have a higher standard of conduct than the rest of Israel. How much greater will be his punishment for the sins he commits than he would suffer if he had been redeemed, you see? And herein lies the change in the law from Hebrews 7.12. Hebrews 7.12 says, For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. Well, let's explain that from the Torah. Numbers 3.12 And I, behold, I have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel instead of all the firstborn that opens the womb among the children of Israel. Therefore the Levites shall be mine. Because all the firstborn are mine. For on the day that I smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I hallowed to me all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast. 
mine they shall be I am the Lord take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel and the cattle of the Levites instead of their cattle and the Levites shall be mine I am the Lord this change of law substituted the Melchizedek priesthood with the Levite priesthood so the firstborns always belong to Yahweh and because of this we now need to redeem them so they are not considered by Yahweh to automatically be in the position of having to serve him and live up to the higher conduct required of priests oh by the way this is him being merciful to the firstborns the ones who failed therefore none of the firstborns can serve their function as firstborn priests in the order of Melchizedek Yahweh made a change in the law he implemented the Levitical priesthood and set aside the Melchizedek priesthood for a time the book of Hebrews is trying to explain some things that people need to remember about the order of Melchizedek and why the Melchizedek priesthood is a better one a better one than the Levite priesthood something the Jews don't understand because they reject their higher than high high priest Yeshua the Melchizedek priesthood has a high priest from before the creation of the universe that operates in that other dimension called heaven but he has a spirit albeit a spirit that could take human form when he appeared as the angel of the Lord and also the three men who appeared to Abraham in Genesis 18 and who Abraham called Lord Yahweh singular it was this flaming torch Yeshua the high priest of the order of Melchizedek who walked through the pieces of those animals after his father the smoking furnace at his ascension Yeshua the order of Melchizedek's high priest took his place on the throne next to his father he had fulfilled the requirement of death under the covenant of Abraham and was now worthy and qualified to take that throne the book of Hebrews is trying to explain why the Melchizedek priesthood is the better one the original one the one that Yeshua was the high priest and king of in the garden of Eden when he walked with Adam trying to teach Adam how to be a priest before him to bring other humans to Yahweh the setting aside of the former commandment in Hebrews 7 12 sets this commandment aside in Exodus 13:2 Sanctify to me all the firstborn whosoever opens the womb among the children of Israel both of man and of beast it is mine Hebrews 7:15 says and it is yet far more evident that for that after the similitude of Melchizedek there arises another priest ooh that sounds ominous who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment that sounds ominous too but after the power of an endless life yes Yeshua is that other priest how well hang on I'm about to explain it 
The carnal commandment is what caused the creation of the Levite priesthood. Because Yahweh's firstborns had acted carnally, they now needed a commandment to address the carnal level to remove them one layer away from him so he would not kill them. That is why the Levites had to camp around the tabernacle. The people were not permitted to approach Yahweh as they pleased. Yeshua was the high priest in spirit. He he still is. But he was the high priest in spirit until he came in a physical human body. But he arose in his now physical human body to become also the high priest of the order of Melchizedek in human body just like the first Adam. This is how Yeshua is what Hebrews 7.15 calls another priest. Another priest refers to him now in human body, which he did not yet have when he was in the garden training Adam, who did have a human body. Get it? Eventually, Yeshua would be the spiritual high priest and the human high priest. Psalms 110.4 The Lord has sworn, Yahweh has sworn and will not repent. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He's talking there about Yeshua. The firstborns of every tribe being priests in the order of Melchizedek is the commandment that was set aside for a while. The firstborns were set aside for Yahweh's purposes, but then they led the Israelites into idolatry at the golden calf incident. There was no more an operational Melchizedek priesthood on the earth until Yeshua could come to cause it to have a worthy and righteous high priest who was also human. The Melchizedek priesthood requires a divine and a human high priest. Yeshua fulfills both of those requirements. Yeshua was the heavenly high priest. Then he made a human high priest, Adam. It was Adam's job to fulfill the heavenly high priest's intentions for the people of the earth. Adam failed. And so did the Israelite firstborns. So Yahweh created a substitute priesthood, the Levitical priesthood that could serve until Yeshua got his human body. The Levitical priesthood, though, is one that he said would never Depart, nor would he ever set that priesthood aside. Exodus 40 verse 15 And you shall anoint them as you did anoint their father that they may minister to me in the priest's office for their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. Phineas was given the covenant of an everlasting priesthood forever when Yahweh gave him the covenant of peace for killing Zimri and Cosby for their fornication inside the tabernacle. Numbers 25.10 And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my wrath away from the children of Israel while he was zealous for my sake among them, that I consumed not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore, 
say behold I have given to him my covenant of peace and he shall have it and his seed after him even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood because he was zealous for his God and made an atonement for the children of Israel furthermore forever the Levite priests get to wave the wave offering forever without end because forever means continuous not stopping no intermission or timeouts. it is forever Leviticus 7.34 for the wave breast and the heave shoulder have I taken of the children of Israel from off the sacrifices of their peace offerings and have given them to Aaron the priest and to his sons by statute forever from among the children of Israel Hebrews 8.13 cannot be understood without understanding the rest of the chapter and the book. So let's go back a little bit into the chapter, chapter 8, okay? Hebrews 8.6 But now has he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. For if that first, and it says, covenant there had been faultless then should no place have been sought for the second now let's look what is Yahweh finding fault with the covenant which is in italics and which is an inserted word by the King James translator or that which is presented in the next verse verse 8 in Hebrews 8 8 it says for finding fault with them he says behold the days come says the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah oh it was that there was a something called a them what is them well them can only refer to people Oh, it wasn't that inserted word by the King James translator who was pushing the Catholic agenda in a Protestant Bible, but the people of Yahweh. Which people of Yahweh? Well, that first generation that failed in the wilderness and were not allowed to take the promised land. Hebrews 8, 9. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they continued not in my covenant and I regarded them not, says the Lord. It was those that came out of Egypt who failed at the golden calf and again and again as they whined and complained and disobeyed their way through the wilderness refusing to obey Yahweh's commandments. Now let's look at Hebrews 8.13 in that he says a new let's leave out the word covenant there he has made the first old because covenant is inserted so there's a new something and he has made the first old now that which decays and waxes old is ready to vanish away so we're going to remove the word that was never there to begin with covenant if indeed there needed to be a word there which there didn't need to be it should be generation instead it should continue with the reference to that something called a them 
which is that generation. No other word is needed there because we should understand that Yahweh was talking about the people. The people were the problem all along, not his covenant. And definitely not the laws of his kingdom. As king of the order of Melchizedek, he gets to demand that his citizens of his kingdom do things his way. What is decaying and waxing old is the first generation and their descendants because after Yeshua ascended, he reestablished the kingdom and the earth under the order of Melchizedek again. This is why he is the firstborn of many firstborns. This new generation comes to him, each one of us, as firstborns in the order of Melchizedek. Romans 8.29 For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. This is about the restoration of the firstborn order of Melchizedek. By the way, the laws of the order of Melchizedek are more stringent even than the laws of the Levitical priesthood. Didn't he say our behavior must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees? Well, that's what it means to exceed them in righteousness. Not only must we be obedient, but we must do a better job of obedience than that first generation of thems that died in the wilderness and whose descendants later killed Yeshua in Jerusalem. The Melchizedek priesthood is a superior priesthood. It always was. It always will be. It was superior to the Levite priesthood from the beginning which is what this author in this Breaking Israel News article is trying to say. The problem that Rabbi Fish has is that he doesn't know Yeshua. Therefore, he doesn't understand that the superior order of Melchizedek has returned under Yeshua, who was the original Melchizedek and is still the Melchizedek. It took his death and and resurrection to reestablish it, That is the message of Hebrews, but the Jews have twisted the understanding about the superiority of Melchizedek into supremacy of Jews and Judaism. By the way, Melchizedek is not just a priesthood, it is also a kingship. Melchizedek is priest-king or king-priest, whichever way we choose to think of it, because the priesthood and the kingship are equal. But the Levites do not qualify as kings. Judaism and Kabbalah have a sense of this superiority, but they don't know what the superiority is about because they reject their priest-king or king-priest Yeshua. Thus, everything that comes out of a rabbi's mouth is a lie and twisted. 
Chapter 10 of Hebrews is explaining why Yom Kippur became necessary. It was for corporate sin. The blood of bulls and goats never did take away the sin as I explained before because it was treason. The sacrifices were made because Yahweh said this is how we can communicate with him through the Levite priesthood. Once we make the sacrifice, he decides if it will be accepted or not. And he decided that Yeshua's sacrifice was acceptable. Throughout the book of Hebrews, the author is speaking of a first and a second. A first and a second what? Well, as I said before, a something called a them. This only refers to the people in the previous chapters. So keeping with the understanding that Yahweh is clear and consistent, the, the first and a second in Hebrews 10.9 will still refer to the people who were replaced with a second generation. Hebrews 10.9 says, Then said he, Lo, I am come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. Here's what people don't see. They think the second generation was the children of the disobedient people in the wilderness who went across the Jordan. That is true. But there is another second generation. A generation that comes into the kingdom not through the blood of bulls and goats, but through the blood of the Lamb, Yeshua. That is the second generation. He established all who come to him through his blood as the second generation. They get to partake of his better covenant, the one that was before the Levite priesthood. Yeshua will not share his priesthood slash kingship with anyone, even the Levites who now call themselves Jews. However, he will oversee the Levitical priests who are not also kings as they perform their functions in the millennial temple Ezekiel 44:10 and the levites that are gone away far from me when Israel went astray which went astray away from me after their idols they shall even bear their iniquity yet they shall be ministers in my sanctuary having charge at the gates of the house and ministering to the house they shall slay the burnt offering and the sacrifice for the people and they shall stand before them to minister to them because they ministered to them before their idols and caused the house of Israel to fall into iniquity therefore I have lifted up my hand against them says the Lord God and they shall bear their iniquity this is during the millennium in Yahweh's true temple built by him under his authority where the priest and king of the order of Melchizedek rules and reigns the Levite priesthood is forever period it will function in Yeshua's kingdom period 
that office will never go away but the Melchizedek priesthood will also be functioning and those who qualify for it will be both kings and priests under Yeshua in the Melchizedek priesthood these will not be required to do the menial work of the sacrifices there will be sacrifices in the millennium Ezekiel 44:15 but the priests the levites the sons of Zadok that kept the charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me they shall come near to me to minister to me and they shall stand before me to offer me the fat and the blood says the Lord well summarizing the change in the law was going from the Melchizedek priesthood to the Levitical priesthood not the other way around and neither priesthood was done away with nor were any of Yahweh's laws or covenants the reason you need to know this is because our Melchizedek is coming to rule and reign but we are subject to him right now as our king even more than we are subject to national and religious laws this is important and relative relevant rather to today's headline news because the Jews are distorting doctrine they do not understand and are causing many to deny Yeshua they are causing the great falling away but Yahweh is orchestrating the fall of mystery Babylon because it is almost time for the coming of our Melchizedek Yeshua our high priest and king one more thing from this breaking Israel news article in this covenant God tells Abraham that his children the Jews will be as countless as the stars that they will inherit the land and that Hashem as they call the Lord will exact judgment on the nation that oppresses the children of Israel Rabbi Fish said this will all happen in the final redemption just as it did in the Bible well by now you should know that Abraham's children are not just the tribe of Judah or the four tribes comprising the house of Judah you should know when you read a lie like this that Abraham's children are all 12 tribes that come from Jacob the children of Israel are not only Judah Rabbi Fish and those who are redeemed will know who the Melchizedek is that's it for this Beast Watch News update. This is Kimberly Rogers Brown signing off. Click over to BeastWatchNews.com for full comprehensive coverage of all the headlines fulfilling end of days Bible prophecy.